Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Strings and Things. I'm Claire Allen. And I'm Erin Spencer. And this is Strings and Things. Yeah. Today we are going to talk about um, how to make lessons and, and then subsequent practices at home more successful. And then we'll talk about Emma, because that's totally related. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I feel like one of the hardest things is just remembering what happens in your lesson. And yeah, and then to be sure that you're practicing the right thing. It, it seems that I have a lot of students who come back the next week and, oh yeah, we just, we weren't sure how to do this. We, did, we couldn't remember. Um, and so to kind of eliminate that. Mm-hmm from happening, uh, we had a few ideas. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is that if you are a younger student or a parent of a younger student, I suppose younger students probably aren't listening to this. <laughs> they could be. This is tra- this is a this is a family free podcast or fa- not family free family safe <laughs> family safe child appropriate podcast. <laughs> right. Um, so this is a good this is a good place to listen. Um, but the first thing you can do is have the parent take notes in the lesson. Now, what should you actually write down? Um, um, I know that as a teacher, I, I tend to write down in the practice charts the activities that you do, what you, how many times you need to be doing it, and like maybe a quick few words on something to focus on for each mm-hmm. activity, but I'm not able to write down in great length, okay, your fingers should look like this, and mm-hmm. this this is, you know, any any time I'm explaining something to a student, those are good things to be writing down right. that will sort of flesh out the bare bone practice chart that I give you each week. Right. So if, say, let's say we're working on an A major scale, mm-hmm. and you notice that I'm stopping the student a lot, and I'm saying, okay, well, you really need to get all the way to the tip if you're using the upper half. So maybe the, that's where the parent would write A major scale, check, maybe straight bow, all the way to the all tip. All the way to the tip, yep. Because um, from the teacher end of things, I never... I never get frustrated or upset when my student doesn't know something, you right. know, because I see that as that's a challenge to me, and if my student isn't understanding something, that it means it's my job to present find, it in another yeah. way so that they do understand. Where I get really frustrated is where I ask a student to do something, and then I work with them, and they do it great in their lesson, and I know that they can do it, and I know they understand the concept, and then they go home, and either they don't practice or they practice the wrong way, or mm-hmm. um, it's when I know that a student is capable of doing something and has actually done it and is just not doing it for whatever reason. That's the only time where I get really frustrated actually with a student. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, so yeah, so taking notes in lessons, having the parents take notes, um, and being able to just take down all those little details, you know, maybe noticing if a teacher moves a hand or an arm a different way, or mm-hmm has a really great way of thinking about something. Um, I was actually having a coaching last night uh, with our friend Matt, our friend and colleague Matt Richardson, mm-hmm. who also teaches violin where we teach, and he was helping me with some orchestra excerpts for an audition I'm taking. 
Um, and I was kind of playing it like a wimp um, <laughs> because I'm scared of most of my excerpts. And he said um, about the Mendelssohn Scherzo, he said it's not an elephant trying to tiptoe. It's a tiny, tiny fairy like dancing its face off. And that totally changed the way I was thinking about because I was like, okay, I can't get too loud. Like, they'll, mm-hmm. you know, take off points. And just that image was, like, I had to go home and write that down mm-hmm. because I'm going to remember that. So any metaphors or anything that a teacher says that really gets your child to change what they're doing or to improve it, that's something that needs to be remembered. Right. Um, something I do in my studio, um, and I make this option available to my students, um, and I think the ones who really do it um, have good success, um, is I have my Zoom um, Q3 camera. I know we're using your what Zoom H4 and audio thing now, mm-hmm. um, whatever the Zoom numbers are. But I have actually a video camera that has pretty good sound quality in my studio, and it just takes the memory card. And I tell my students that they're welcome to bring their own memory card and to record all of their lesson. So we just mm-hmm. have the camera in the corner of the studio, and I plug it in the beginning, and they can then go home and watch through the entire lesson and then maybe supplement the notes that were taken in the lesson or take their own. Um, and this is what I do the rare occasions when I have violin lessons because when you don't have a parent in the corner taking notes, um, it can really help if you're not like constantly stopping the teacher to be like, wait, let me write that down. Right. Um, so although I don't have a camera set up in my studio, um, everyone these days seems to have a little mini video recorder in their pocket. They do. And so I encourage my parents very often to whip out their phone and record me doing an exercise so that they know how to record their child doing an exercise so that they can see how, take a picture of a beautiful bowl hold. Um, I will, it's very often that I will say... This would be a good recording opportunity so that Mm -hmm. you can make sure that you're doing it uh, the best way possible during the week. And I have have parents that use that method too, and they say it's really easy because they can save the video and then label it as something so they know this is the bow exercise, this Mm -hmm. is the scale, so that way they don't have to sit and watch through 30 to 60 minutes of video to find what they're looking for. So that can be really helpful. Um, the one danger is I have had parents who just spend the entire lesson with the phone like up in front of their faces like watch, like um, videoing the whole thing mm-hmm. and that can be really eat up your phone's memory first of all and second of all that to me feels like there's a barrier between the parent and me and like they're just videoing they're not engaging right so the type of thing where it's videoing for a very specific thing exactly but then the rest of the time either taking notes or just really carefully observing uh-huh yeah um so yeah so either so taking notes in the lesson um having a video or audio recorder set up for the entire lesson so you don't miss anything or using your smartphone or handheld device of choice to um, record key moments right. can be really great. And sort of, it seems pretty obvious to say this, but if you have a question, you should just ask whether it's in the lesson, wait, can you explain what you want us to do? Can you say that again? Can you give me some more information? Whether in the lesson, that's 
uh, you know, I'm right. there with you. It's the perfect time for you to get some more information from me. But I can't tell you um, the times that I've had students reach out to me during the week and say, mm -hmm. we are just not understanding how to do this exercise or whatever, play this piece. I'm so happy that I had that opportunity to help you during the week. So I have made videos and sent them to students. I've provided more verbal explanation. I, you know, I'm just, I think both of us right. tend to always be available to our students and we want your practices to be at home to be successful. And mm -hmm. so if you need more guidance, you know, we want right. you to ask us. Right, certainly. Um, and we should say something for, I guess, our teacher friends out there too, which is that we are two young professional women currently without families of our own. So if you're in a situation where your teacher has children or a family or something else of their own in that way, um, they might not be quite as compulsive with the email or whatever. Um, but whatever, But certainly asking in the lesson or reaching out during the week, that's, you know, so we, we tend to make ourselves really crazy available to our studios, mm -hmm. um, but we know that not every teacher, yeah. for whatever reason, might not be able to do that. So certainly from a parent and a student perspective, um, I would rather have to take 10 minutes out of my day to answer an email the day after a lesson than have the student come in the next week and be like, I really didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing, um, especially in these 30-minute lessons, you know, they really go by so quickly. Um, sometimes I'm just trying to make sure I hit all of the highlights on a student's mm -hmm. practice chart and make sure I hear everything they did. Um, and sometimes if I'm a little pressed for time and getting through a new thing, um, sometimes I just kind of skip over the part of having a student try something in the lesson. Yeah. Um, and I've actually had parents kind of stop me and say, you know, wait, can you have her try that right now? And I'll say, oh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so if you feel like the teacher is doing a lot of verbal explaining, um, obviously all of this podcast is verbal <laughs> explaining, but this isn't a violin lesson, so we're good. Right. Um, you can certainly break in in the lesson and say, hey, can you explain that? Can, or can you have them try that? Can you show us how that's done? Right. Um, Especially in the early months of violin lessons, you know, the parent and, I mean, really for always, the parent knows the child far better than the teacher ever will. Absolutely. Um, and especially at the beginning when the teacher's still getting to know the child and the child's learning methods, you know, if as a parent you notice that your uh, child has that glazed over look, that means they didn't understand anything the teacher just said, that can be an appropriate time to say, you know, to ask your child, Hey, Susie, did you understand what Miss Claire just said? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. Um, right. So that's, you know, a really good way to be engaged. Right. I think um, I look at teaching and working with my students and their parents very much as a team effort. That mm -hmm. I, like we've been talking about, we only, I will only see a student for somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes every week. Right. You're with them, a parent is with them so much longer. And as long as we work as a team, then mm -hmm. you are, will be much more successful than if I don't know something or mm -hmm. parents don't know something. And if we all are able to work from the same workbook, be on the same page, right? you'll be much more successful. 
And in terms of, and really what you want to be doing when you're in the lesson and however you record what happened, um, whether on paper, on video, on your phone, whatever, um, it's making sure that you do sit down within, I'd say, 24 hours of that lesson and actually review those materials. Right. Um, so sit down and watch those videos while they're still fresh in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, if you chose the method of recording your entire lesson to take notes on it later, do that sooner rather than later mm -hmm. um, to make sure that you are seeing what is going on and can plan your practice accordingly. Right. Um, and in terms of organizing practice home, I know we both give um, practice charts in the lesson. So we have charts where we write down the specific things we want our students to do, and then there's boxes where they can check off every day as they do it, right? Yep. Uh -huh. um, so what are some other suggestions you might make for people to organize their home practice? Uh, to organize your home practice, uh, we talked a little bit last time about setting up a routine. Mm -hmm. I think during the summer it's very difficult, but once school gets back in session, mm -hmm. but I remember when I was growing up and practicing, I would get home from school, I was allowed a 10 to 15 minute break for a snack and to sit down and sort of um, decompress decompress <laughs> and then and then it was practice time mm -hmm. and I just knew every day that that was how it went and and then you grabbed your practice chart and just went down the things and that worked really well for me um, one of the things my first uh, violin teacher, Mrs. Pohl, said was you do you practice before you do your homework. Mm -hmm. um, which for some parents might be like hard, especially um, to do. Um, but it can be good in violin. Um, or I suggest to people that they alternate practicing with homework. Mm -hmm. So maybe practice for 20, for older students, you know, practice for 20 minutes and then do one subject of school homework and then practice for another 20 minutes, and then do another subject of homework, so that can kind of break up their afternoon and evening that right. way. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, so certainly skipping a day of practice is something that should happen very rarely, mm -hmm. and only for a really good reason. Yeah, absolutely. I think so much of learning the violin is we're trying to develop habits, hopefully good habits. <laughs> We hope. <laughs> and believe me, the bad ones are hard to break. They are. And and when you when you are inconsistent when you with your practice, you sort of by default will just be developing these bad habits. Right. Or less than ideal habits, I guess maybe in some cases. And and so just daily practicing, even if you can only have like ten or fifteen minutes to do a really good scale with beautiful posture and a beautiful bow hold, that is better than nothing. And something else you can do is listen to music. Mm -hmm. um, with Suzuki, you have the CDs, so I always tell people to copy them to every device they have and make sure there's a copy in the car. So just listen to it as you drive around. Um, listen to classical radio. Um, here in Northern Virginia, it's 90.9 FM. Um, certainly digital or satellite radio has mm -hmm. a lot of different things. Um, Spotify is a streaming music service that has a lot of classical music. Um, yeah. I haven't really explored Apple Music as much. No. I know that's a new thing. Yes. It's, um, yeah. 
So certainly there, and then obviously you can always purchase and download albums as well. So the more that you get this sound of the violin, um, whether it's in an orchestra, a solo, a chamber piece, whatever, um, just constantly surrounding you, the more you kind of have that full immersive experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we live today in the 21st century where literally any second of any day you can have access to pretty much any piece of music you want mm -hmm. at your fingertips, in your home, in the car, wherever you are. Exactly. Uh, in Jane Austen's time period... You caught that, thank you. <laughs> they did not. If they wanted to listen to music, they had to create it themselves. So in movies and in books, um, a lot of very accomplished young women usually played the piano or the harp. Mm -hmm. And um, I know Traditionally, you Traditionally, the violin is a more masculine instrument, I think. Yes. Um, someone told me once that in Haydn's piano trios, um, the piano parts are so much harder than the string parts um, because the assumption was that men played the cello and the violin and the woman played the piano mm -hmm. and she would be more dedicated and have more time to practice <laughs> so that's why those parts are harder um, Interesting. I don't know if that's true but that is what I was told by a chamber coach one day um, you know, good anecdote um, so last night so Aaron and I will this will be over probably by the time we figure out how to actually put these out for public consumption um, so by the time you're hearing this, Aaron and I will have, with our colleagues um, Matt and Rachel, run a boot camp at Potomac Arts Academy, mm -hmm. which is going to be five days next week in our time, um, in the past for you, um, seven hours a day of violin. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we didn't realize when we did this we, we, how much we work We theoretically really said it was going to be a lot of work, and now that we're doing the work, it's really interesting. So anyway, last night I was doing my lesson plans and watching Emma, um, the 2009 BBC adaptation with uh, Romola Garay and uh, Johnny Lee Miller as the mm -hmm. leads. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved the scene where um, they get invited to the Coles for a musical evening and it's this like, big to-do because... Frank Churchill goes all the way to London and back to get his hair cut. <laughs> and the best then, part ever. He has to go to London <laughs> to get his hair cut. Well. And it was a big deal that Emma even went because the Coles were in trade and they mm -hmm. were not born rich. And it was right. this whole thing. Um, but it's just, it's, and everyone's talking about how Jane Fairfax was sent a mystery new pianoforte. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I always laugh when I watch these because um, you'll notice, okay, so we're about to ruin period dramas for you. <laughs> um, notice the next time you watch one of these and someone is playing piano, it happens in like all of them. And notice if you ever see the character's face and her hands in the same shot. Which you never will because it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if there's a close-up of the hands, that's not actually probably the actress. Yes. Um, I think the one exception that I know of is in the new Keira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice okay. when Georgiana is playing and you see her. And she actually She plays. actually is. Okay. So... Um, Movie magic. So anyway, so I was just laughing last night because 
you don't see Emma's hands at all. You just see her, like, laughing and singing and smiling mm-hmm. up at Frank Churchill. Okay, so guys, no pianist ever is going to look up at you and gaze into your eyes when you turn their pages. If you get a nod from them in time, you're lucky. <laughs> and I say this as someone who, like, one of my best friends is a pianist. I love you, Wade. You're awesome. Um, but you, I think you even told me this once. Like, you're not right. going to, like, look up and smile and wink or whatever. No. You're just going to keep playing. Um, well, when you think about it, you have your two hands doing completely different things. And, and you're reading and, however many notes. And then if you've got foot pedals, like, that's just, like... Patting your head and rubbing your tummy and chewing gum and spinning in a circle. You're not going to have time to spare anyone a backward glance. So I always just, like, crack up in these Jane Austen adaptations when they're, like, seriously, like, flirting over the piano or whatever. Um, And then I laugh because, you know, Emma's all like, I sung my little song and my, her piano playing's not good. Right. Um, And then Jane Fairfax gets up there and she's like playing Beethoven, like, Waldstein Sonata. (laughs) And I'm just like, and boom. (laughs) Well, that's probably because Jane Fairfax practices every day. So be like Jane Fairfax and (laughs) practice. Yes. Um, Probably because she was a governess and had to work. So that was... She was not a governess. Oh, no, she wasn't. That's right. She was a companion. She had all this free time with which to to practice. practice. I mean, to be fair, Emma had a ton of free time, too. But she was not as diligent. She probably didn't have her mom video record her lessons. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, she didn't have her lessons. (laughs) I don't think she had a practice chart. No, she probably didn't. (laughs) She was just like, who can I get married today? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I always, and it's actually in all these movies, they talk, whenever they talk about like an accomplished young lady, um, it was a thing to be able to play really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, these days, I think you see an equal number of men and women performers. Um, yeah. Every so often I'll get a boy who's like, Violin is for girls, and then I show them videos of high fits, and then that stops. Right. <laughs> really, I don't think it has to be within the last hundred, mm-hmm. hundred and fifty years that it's become acceptable for women to play violin at all. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. It is. Um, so yeah. So yay, women in music. Yay. Um, I guess the next horizon is composition and conducting, or those two kind of final frontiers for women in classical music anyway. Yeah. Um, But I think the uh, rise of the blind orchestra audition, Mm -hmm. did a lot for that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, and of course in modern society it's no longer, like, if you don't play a musical instrument really well, you're not going to be judged and unworthy. Yes. Whatever it is. Marriage partner. Right. But music does, it is scientifically proven, change the way your brain works in really good ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps you be more coordinated. And if you do all this stuff we're talking about, these diligent lessons, these um, really dedicated practicing, that is instilling really good habits. Um, and even if you don't think your kid's going to be a professional, and quite frankly, I think that's a discussion that really shouldn't even happen until you're in high school. Right. Because so often I have 
people say, oh, well, I don't think she wants to be a professional or anything, and the kid's seven. Right. I can tell you really quickly that I most definitely did not want to be a professional violinist for the longest time. I lived, you know, I felt like if I was taking violin, that somehow I was signing up for a year, I mean, a lifelong violin career, and my mom said, no, Erin, that's that you definitely don't have to. I ended up deciding to do that later. Here we are. But, but you don't have to. And but I came very naturally to that decision on my own by the by the end of high school, beginning of my college education. So I came to it through much drama and hysterics, but it's okay. Sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> but anyway, our point is that this type of discipline and diligence really is going to carry through into all aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. And you're really, um, that's the stuff that you learn in a music lesson that really doesn't have much to do about the music. Right. Um, certainly we want you to play violin well, but it's that attention to detail. It's the commitment to hard work. It's the consistency. It's learning to evaluate yourself. Mm -hmm. It's learning to take evaluation in a healthy way. Yep to express yourself, and these are all things that I think are just good as people. Absolutely. I think, I know on my website I talk a lot about the things that I want my teaching philosophy, things that I want my students to do and to learn, but the most important thing for me is that children learn to, that my students learn to have as Dr. Suzuki said, a beautiful heart mm-hmm. that you that you learn so much more than music in these music lessons. Absolutely, and they will only help you become a better human being. Right. Yeah. I I have nothing to follow yeah, that with. I think I think that's it. I think that <laughs> is it. End on that and. So, so where can we find you so we can read more about your teaching philosophy? Uh, my website is erinmspencer.com, E-R-Y-N-N-M-S-P-E-N-C-E-R, and I'm on Facebook at Erin's Violin Studio. And do you spell your name awesomely? Oh, it was not my choice. It was my parents. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's cool. Thanks. Um, and you can find me on my website at claireallenviolin.com. Uh, claireallen.com was taken by someone. Um, but anyway, that's C-L-A-I-R-E-A-L-L-E-N-V-I-O-L-I-N.com. I am on Facebook at um, Allen Violin Studio and on Twitter at, um, at Claire underscore violin. Um, I tweet mostly about violin things and occasionally about things like Star Wars, baseball, Jane Austen, and, you know, the, from our first episode, all of the fictional literary characters that are on Twitter. Um, so we hope you'll find us there, and stay tuned for next time, where we'll be talking about more, more fun stuff. Things. <laughs> all right. Hey, bye. Thanks, bye!